Hello folks, this is Rich Palazzo from Thinking Accurately Education and uh, today we're going to be reading uh, from our book uh, The Bible, Christianity and American Government and we're up to chapter 6 and the title is Two Models for Government. Uh, let's get started. In 1532, Niccolo Machiavelli published his famous work on political theory called The Prince. He had used Spain's King Ferdinand as a model for perfect governance. Unfortunately, this model included brutality and ambition and always endeavoring, above all things, to gain the reputation of being a great and remarkable man. Kind of like Nimrod at the Tower of Babel. See Genesis 10, 10, and 11, 1 through 9. Uh, and to keep the minds of his people in suspense and admiration of King Ferdinand and his ambitious pursuit of gold and glory. Uh, therefore, it should not be a surprise to anyone that the Spanish conquistadors who colonized America brought with them Machiavelli's views that in politics the end justifies the means and that political morality are unnecessary and even to be avoided. It is important that we understand that these are the fundamental ideas that the Spanish Golden Age was built on. The Spanish Golden Age may be considered to have been contemporaneous with what we often call the Renaissance and its accompanying zeitgeist. A zeitgeist is a defining spirit or mood of a particular period of history as shown by the ideas and beliefs of the time. I got that from Bing. The defining spirit of the Renaissance was rebirth, which sounds good, but it was actually only a rebirth of pagan, Greek, and Roman values and ideas that stood in direct contrast to those of Christianity, upon which medieval Western civilization had been built. And interesting, interestingly, but not surprisingly, it was Ferdinand's grandson, King Charles I of Spain, who later, as Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, would condemn the great reformer Martin Luther as a heretic, ban him as a political outlaw, and order his writings to be burned. Yet soon afterwards, uh, Luther, working in hiding, translated the Bible into the common language of the German people, inspiring a young Englishman named William Tyndale. Tyndale, living in exile, coincidentally, in Luther's hometown in Germany, translated the Bible into English and had it smuggled back to his own country in England. Sixty years later, Charles' son, Philip II, uh, champion of Europe's counter-reformation at that time, sent the Spanish Armada, the largest fleet ever seen in Europe up to that time, to attack England. 
to maintain the religious and political uh, status quo. The Armada was destroyed by a storm. In fact, the Armada was sent three times in 1588, 1597, uh, 1596, and 1597. And it was destroyed three times, each by bad, by bad weather. Providentially, it seems, William Tyndale's Bible ended up making its way into the hands of a generation of common Englishmen, just as their king, Henry VIII, was making himself the head of the church in England, just as England was preparing to replace Spain as a world power. And it was these same Englishmen who brought that Bible and its ideas into the New World. In 1607, Captain John Smith was among 100 colonists who planted Jamestown in Virginia. In 1608, Smith became the leader of the community and established measures to save it from ruin, including an instruction from the Bible, If any one will not work, neither shall he eat. That's from 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. This is not to say that Captain John Smith was necessarily a Christian, only that the Bible was already starting to affect the way that everyday people chose to live their lives. But soon after, in 1620, a group of, a group of people who were Christians established Plymouth Plantation as a Christian community based on the example of the early church in the book of Acts. Their governor, William Bradford, in his book called Of Plymouth Plantation, called the Plymouth settlers pilgrims, referring to the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 13. The chapter goes on to say, those who say such things, He's referring, it's referring to calling themselves pilgrims, declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. That's from Hebrews eleven fourteen through 16. And that's the way they lived. They left behind all that England was and whatever comfort it had been for them and looked forward to life in this new England and what they dreamed would be a better world for them and their families. Other Christians followed them to New England, setting up what they called the, Ma the Massachusetts Bay Colony, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. The governor of Massachusetts Colony, John Winthrop saw New England prophetically, quoting from Matthew 5.14. Uh, For we must consider, he wrote, that we shall be like a city upon a hill, and the eyes of all people are on us. That's from a model of Christian charity. Uh, and just a few years later, in 1639, Christians from the then small towns of Windsor, Hartford, and Wethersfield in Connecticut 
drew up the first written constitution known to history. It was called the Fundamental Orders, and they were based on a sermon by Reverend Thomas Hooker on May 31, 1638. His text for his sermon had been Deuteronomy 1.13, which says, Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. In his sermon, Hooker asserted that based on the Old Testament example of the ancient Israelites, which, by the way, was initiate, was imitated by Christians in the New Testament book of Acts, the foundation of authority is laid in the free consent of the people. That idea could not have come out of the Spanish Golden Age. It could not have come out of the Renaissance. It could not have come from Machiavelli. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's from 2 Corinthians 3.17. But the Bible also says that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs because it has been subjected to corruption. That's from Romans 8.20. That is why our experience has not matched up with the prophetic voices of Winthrop and Hooker or their hopes and dreams for America. But one day, America and the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of this corruption into the glorious liberty of the revelation of the children of God. That's quoting Romans 8 verses 19 and 21. It is time for the children of God in America to shake off the chains of corruption, to step out of the grave clothes of past experience and to walk in what has been prophesied over this land. That is our legacy, and America's legacy. And as John Winthrop wrote, the eyes of all people shall be upon us. Thank you, folks, for listening to Thinking Accurately Education. Uh, don't forget we have a blog, we have a podcast, and we have a YouTube channel. We appreciate it, and uh, see, see you again soon. Bye now.